Hello, and welcome to the Writing Hockey Podcast. My name is Seth Robon. This is a project of the Professional Hockey Writers Association, where we try to go into the nuts and bolts of being a hockey writer with members of the Professional Hockey Writers Association, or for those of you who are accurate and minded, the PHWA. Again, my name is Seth Robon. I cover the Pittsburgh Penguins for The Athletic, and I've covered the team for about 10 years. Uh, this is a job I'm pretty passionate about, and I enjoy discussing the details of our business with my, with my colleagues on this podcast. Today's guest is a co-worker. It's Michael Russo, also of The Athletic. Michael covers the Minnesota Wild and is one of the more esteemed members of our group. In fact, he won our inaugural Red Fisher Award this past fall, which, as voted on by our members, recognizes the top beat writer in the NHL. At a time when so many big national writers seem to be the only ones who really break a lot of the news out in there, uh, you know, trades, signings, management, whatever, Michael's still one of the relatively few local beat writers who breaks a healthy amount of that news uh, on his own. Uh, we did this podcast at the Marriott here in Pittsburgh, across the street from PPG Paints Arena. Uh, we started a little bit late, due mainly because I showed up late, but Michael also had to interview Brock Bessner, the, uh, the outstanding rookie for the Vancouver Canucks, who's also from the state of Minnesota, over the phone. And uh, So we talked a little bit about covering hockey in the, in the self-proclaimed state of hockey, uh, personal pronouns, uh, and also the time he waited at the airport hours to interview Zach Parise uh, during his free agency courting. Uh, we also discussed uh, Red Fisher, uh, the longtime hockey writer who meant so much to our group and uh, who sadly passed away this past week. So uh, it was a pretty far-ranging uh, conversation, and I, I hope you enjoy it. All right, so this is a question I've always wanted to ask people who covered teams with like a singular name is the minnesota wild an it or they well it depends where you work okay uh i uh mark lazarus will tell you it's always a possessive noun and it's they and are and my new outlet the athletic that is what it is and that is what it should be okay. uh but uh you know I, I will say after so when i was at the sun sentinel it was the the we treated like the tampa bay lightning the miami heat the minnesota wild as a singular, and then when I moved to the Star Tribune, we had the same style there. So for me, it was an, a seamless transition. The harder thing was to come to the Athletic and refer to the Wild as they or are. It's amazing how many times you're writing that it just naturally comes yeah. out to treat them like pos- possessive. It's very, it's a, it's a little difficult. So I, I guess I haven't gone that deep into the style guide yet, so I guess I'll need to make that change. Well, they used to be the AP <laughs> style was was that it was singular, and then like they changed, and then, and then, and then yeah. but companies had their own policy at the Star Tribune when I was there. It's still that way. Yeah. So Chris Science here in McClellan now, they all have to write about <laughs> after. I feel bad for them. It's got to be harder in for them. In our little to, world, we're probably the only ones going to kind of appreciate yeah, a yeah. question or query. Or, yeah. Yeah, Every now and then like when that. I was working at the Strip, I'd get an email from somebody that clearly must have just read me for the first time. Like, where did you learn your grammar? You know, like, I'm like, have you not read me for 12 yeah. years? Like, this has been the way I've been writing the wild forever. So it's not. It's. I mean, when you're reading it, it just doesn't sound right. So it makes it difficult. So if you're talking about Zach Parise, is he a a wild or is he a, a member He's, of the wild? Yeah, I would probably say the a, a you know with yeah. I guess I would call him the wild. You know where it's actually where it becomes difficult too is like now though. Like say you you know you always write the wilds. Mm-hmm. This is a great start to a podcast, <laughs> by the way. But that technically now is wrong. But you know, like yeah. at, at, so now I mean that I write that all the time now, and it's and we get it in. But it's kind of like, like what do you do when yeah. you don't? You know, because you can't obviously do. When I covered the Panthers, you put a apostrophe yeah. at the end of the S. It was easy. So now I'm all confused. What about like 
like a team with, that has sort of a nickname, like the Bolts or the Abs. Is, is well, that it's ever, funny. Ever, I mean, the Wild doesn't yeah, really it's, yeah, it's funny. Or arena names, you yeah. know, like, you know, you go to the Bell Center or, or uh, you know, the, the, the Pepsi Center, it's sometimes called the Can yeah. or, or whatever. And, and uh, uh, the Wild PR guy hates when I call it the X instead of XL Energy Center. And if you think about most stadiums in the country or most arenas, you know, they all have some sort of the phone booth, uh, yeah. you know, the, the shark tank. Some the, people here in Pittsburgh call it the paint can for PPG paint yeah, arena. So. exactly. So, I mean, uh, but I, I usually will kind of go in between. I, I knew, uh, you know, we were, we were talking about Red Fisher, and, and, you know, with Red, he didn't call him the Habs. And, and I, I never realized yeah. Yeah, realize that. And uh, I used to call them the haves all the time in print. You know, sometimes you do it just to kind of change it up in style. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you're, you know, writing the the lightning every yeah. second, every second graph, you know, you change it to the bolts every now and then, or or whatever. I, I you know, Broadway blue shirts is something I've done forever. You know, aisles. Um, yeah. So. The pens here in Pittsburgh yeah. sometimes we'll use. Um, you mentioned Red Fisher here. Uh, you, you know. Timely subject. Uh, on top of that, too, I mean, you you won the inaugural Red Fisher yeah. uh, Beat Writer Award. I, I forget the full name of it. I should know it. Uh, but um, uh, on top of that, too, you know, we're only maybe a week or so removed from Red passing away here. First yeah. off, with Red himself, just uh, what I never had the the chance to really interact with him. Did right. you ever? Have oh yeah, many, many, many times. Any memories I mean, of him? Yeah, I mean, this is my twenty third year as, as the NHL beat writer, as an NHL beat writer, and I still remember meeting him in like nineteen ninety nine or twenty at the at the uh, Molson Center, which is uh, now the Bell Center, right? And uh, we're up in the press box, and he came up to me to shake my hand. I was still, I was like almost caught off guard because you know when you're a young sports writer, and I started covering the NHL at twenty one years old, you just immediately. Um, look up to those type of pl- people, you know. You know, it's it's kind of like young athletes look up to generational players. You know, I'm sure, especially here in Pittsburgh, everybody young looks up yeah. to Sidney Crosby. Like me as a young sports writer, I looked up to Jim Matheson, Eric DeHatchet, Colleen Elliott, uh, Dave Fay, Jim Kelly, Dave Molinari, and Red was the king. And um, you know, covered the covered the Habs forever. Uh, you know, I think 17 or something cups and and. Uh, and he just, he had, but you heard stories about him about being this legend. Like, he was just kind of this famous sports writer. And slowly but surely over the years getting to know him, it really started in 1999, that same year that I met him at a, at a game in Montreal. He um, and I sat next to each other during the 1999 Stanley Cup Finals when, when the series was always in Buffalo. So games three, four, and six, we yeah. sat next to each other, and, um, and I can't remember exactly why that, why uh, how they they come up with that at, yeah. at the NHL, um, and and basically, uh, you know, I remember seeing our names on the on the press list and on the on the seating chart, and I'm like, oh my god, this is gonna be like the biggest knowledge ever, just kind of just totally absorb everything this guy um, has to offer, and we start off game three, uh, national anthem. There's, you know, they sing the two anthems in Canada. Yeah. Um, it's Canadian national anthem. The entire time during the Canadian national anthem, he's bitching to me that the there are no cup holders in the Buffalo press box. And this is after I said to him, I'm like, this is one of my favorite press boxes in the league because you know the, you don't have to bend down to put the plug in. It's like it's the only <laughs> press box in the league where you actually in front of your computer is the outlet. And you know the TVs back then, like there were certain arenas like Raleigh and Buffalo that the actual had TVs on the on the actual like press. 
table yeah, yeah. rather than looking up. And I'm saying this to him, and he goes, they don't have cup holders, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and he, so now the American, the anthem starts, the Star Spangled Banner, he puts down his Coke. He's, I'll never forget it, too. He's, he's drinking a, a Coke in one of those cups that, you know, it's, it's the Coke logo on the cup. And he, again, is kind of bitching to me that, oh, see, like, this could fall on your computer, could fall on my computer, blah, blah, blah. We sit down after the anthem. He opens up to the lid to the computer, hits the Coke. It flies over the press box. And you know in Buffalo, oh, the fans throw. are yeah, right under you. Yeah. I mean, so, like, I are immediately hear people cursing up to yeah. us. And he looks at me and he goes, I told you there should be cup holders in the press box. I'm like, this guy is brilliant. And then for the next three games, it was it was awesome sitting next to him. You know, I didn't have a relationship with him that everybody else did that got yeah. to cover uh, uh, him, you know, got to be with him a ton. But when you covered the Eastern Conference back then, you know, you played two, three times in Montreal every year, even when you covered Florida. And he was just a, he was an encyclopedia of knowledge. Um, you know, I still always think about it. I told Glenn Sather this when he called me to tell me that I won the award, that I still... Always thought of Red because he, I remember my first year covering the league. You know, every beat writer in the NHL was so well well dressed, and you started to realize, wow, you know, this isn't like baseball, football, basketball. Like, yeah. like hockey writers wear suits to games, and on the credential at the Bell Center, it always said, put it, put your credential in your jacket pocket or your coat pocket. And the the what it, the, the inference was is that you're supposed to be wearing a yeah, sports yeah. coat. And I remember always seeing him, and he was so kind of well-dressed and dainty and things like that. And that's what I'm like. I remember coming back from one game in Montreal. I'm like, I better go to Brooks Brothers or Joseph A. or whatever <laughs> it was back then. Probably, uh, I forget this coat. Fa- uh, it was like the Burlington Coat Factory. And I better buy myself yeah. a bunch of blazers that I you know didn't have before. It's pretty funny. Um but it, it is humbling because there's nobody like that anymore. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he is a generally generational legend. Um, I'm friends with this guy named John Piliatis. Um, he, he used to play hockey, I think, at Merrimack College. He lives in Boston, married kids, and he wrote on my Facebook the other day when I used to come home from school. I would, or, or actually, excuse me. First thing in the morning, the first thing I did was grab the Gazette to see what Red was saying, and this is him as a child. You know him doing yeah. this as a hockey fan, and that's what Red was. You, you knew everything about the Montreal Canadiens based on what Red Fisher told you, and he had such an amazing relationship with so many people in the game. And you know, you just see the 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 respect that he has, the the fact that you know that people like Glenn Sather and 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 you know uh, Jacques Demare and all these people just absolutely love the guy, and it's just amazing. And you you see like. He was really maybe like the first guy that you know he did like segments on Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah, just kind of did the yep. note segment around what was going on in the league. When the league, grand the league was much smaller then, but um, he was really the first guy. You see guys like Elliot Friedman do that now, Bob yeah. McKenzie, and yeah. you're, yourself even on a local level, kind of like yep. I don't say a brand, but like you're 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 looked to as someone to, to give out some knowledge. Yeah, now this and he was really kind of like the pioneer. No, you're right, and and I mean he started really years before I started the league. But you know, I, I it's it's funny when we're up in Canada to cover Hockey Night in Canada back in the day when it was people like Al Strachan on there and Tony yeah. Gallagher and and Bob McKenzie and those when the, those things came on, even in the press box, you would during that intermission that those the that the the uh, the you know kind of the sport the sport I forget what they used to call it, but the sports writer roundtable yeah, yeah, that they would yeah. have. The, the hot stove, um, you'd all, I mean, there'd be 10 of us around the TV listening to what these guys were saying. 
and and it continue and there's just not that many of those people around. That now today there are I mean this Bob McKenzie, Elliot Friedman, Darren Dreger, yeah. you know, breaking all the news for the league or most of the news nationally. Um, but back then it was on a local level. It was like, if you wanted to know what's going on in Edmonton, you read Jim Matheson. If you wanted to know what's going on in Vancouver, you read Camp Cole, Tony Gallagher, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, Toronto, Al Strachan, and Damian Cox. It was it was kind of always like that. You know, New York always Larry Brooks. Uh, it's 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 never changed from that standpoint. And and uh, but Red was kind of the first one that kind of paved the way for for yeah. the kind of the hockey broadcaster. Um, let me ask you. A hockey sports writer would kind gotcha. of get into broadcast. Uh, let me ask you, as far as being a beat writer, and, and by the way, I never actually congratulate you on winning the award. I appreciate it. just on Twitter. But no, it was humbling. It's well-deserved. Yeah. yeah, I was definitely caught off guard. And, yeah. and now it's even more humbling knowing that, you know, kind of you're the first when, when Red, who's somebody that you absolutely idolized in this business, is... Has now passed. It's it's just um, you know I, I I could only imagine what he thinks that now that I you know that the first Red Fisher <laughs> Award winner is an internet guy, you know <laughs> like, like I can't imagine that would, like you know sadly for the last several months I mean you know he, his brain activity wasn't you know I don't think he really totally yeah, understood. Yeah. Um, I know Michael Farber and Glenn Sather went to tell him, and I, I'm not exactly positive exactly how much he absolutely comprehended. I'm sure if he knew that he would have been ecstatic that I won yeah. it, but I don't know if he knew that I switched from the written form yeah. in the newspaper to uh, one of these, uh, you know, professional bloggers now. <laughs> uh, let me ask you, as a beat writer, what's your average day like? And I'm asking, what's yeah. it like when you get to the morning skate or beforehand? Uh, covering you know the coach's press conference yeah. afterwards, maybe going home for for an hour or two, then coming yeah. to the game and leaving at midnight. Take me through your day. It's probably a little different now because I write more long form stuff. Where yeah. like before, you're just grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding. Which was one of the best parts of this job. Now is that if there is no news at the morning skate, I won't cram out an early. I don't invent a notebook the way that you would. Yeah. Like on those slow news days when you work in a newspaper, and all of a sudden you're like, all right, I guess I'll write about their red hot penalty kill now. <laughs> like you know, you know, I yeah. don't do that. I try to use my days from a productive standpoint. So, like, this week has been all about, I mean, you just saw, you know, it was all about getting Brock Besser and his whole family to do this huge story for Friday. Um, It's been all about preparing for Eric Stahl down in the All-Star game. It's been, I'm doing this huge story next week on on the relationship that Bruce Boudreaux has with John Anderson, his assistant coach. So it's a lot of kind of now more so that, but the, the, the nuts and bolts of the job, I'm still a beat writer at heart. Yeah. Like, I... Never drive to the arena without calling an agent, calling a scout, calling... Like, I'm always trying to find out stuff that's going on with the Wild because, you know, I don't like to make up stuff. I, I don't like to create rumors, especially in this day and age where if you write something, it it becomes gospel in minutes. So I always yeah. kind of know want to know what's going on because I still want everybody to know that if they're going to get their Minnesota Wild news, they've got to come read me in The Athletic or they're just not going to know it, at least ahead of time. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of always like to be that one-stop shop that makes you you come and so you know I, I, I go to the arena and it's all about you know talking to people talking to other writers talking to other coaches um, uh, work in the locker room um, I'm I'm definitely the king of of probably having my you know my uh, I like to say my notepad in the back pocket and kind of work in the room shooting the breeze with players yeah. and then something funny happens or something newsworthy happens and then you pull, hey can I yeah. write that you know so you you like to talk to a lot of guys and, 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 and to expand on that I mean you know going to a room and talking to a guy a lot of times you don't get information literally holding your yeah, in his face no 
it might just be as you say shooting the breeze. Shooting the breeze. I mean, then following up on it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I used to do that with Derek Bugard all the time. You just kind of hang out by his locker, and slowly but surely, I'd start learning everything that was going on on the team because he just he just say it, or there'd be banter between him and Nicholas Backstrom, the goalie. You know, they had the a hilarious relationship, and so you know, I've done that forever, and that's why I think you know it's a little different now. I mean, you know, Red was one of those people that. You know, back in the day, you could have a working relationship with players, but then go out for a beer with them. And when yeah. I started, it was the same way. Like I constantly was going out with players, getting beer, learning stuff about the team. Um, and, and, that's and but they so foreign. And, now. But that is far now because these guys are probably understandably scared of us. Because really you know, social media. Back, back then, there was no social media. We didn't have podcasts. We yeah. didn't have our voice, our opinions heard on the radio, on TV. So everything that happens now, they kind of look at you as the enemy. So it's much tougher now to establish relationships. And that's why I think that you see that like my, what what where I where my strengths are, are probably with the veterans. You know, the guys that aren't, you know, the Parisians, the Cullens, the Stalls, where they're not scared of you. They yeah. know you're not out to burn them. Yeah. The Dubniks, you know, they, they know that you're going to write good personality profiles and not kill them when, when things are. But you got to take the good with the bad, too. I mean, if you turn the puck over for a losing goal, you know, I'm going to be there to yeah. write it. If you score the winning goal, I'm going to be there to write it. I used to tell... Uh, Ray Whitney that all the time when I covered him in Florida he'd get so pissed off with, with if he was in a goal streak and I was yeah. writing I'm like you know you never thanked me for the you know loving stories that I wrote about you the last three weeks when yeah. you were red hot I mean that's just the way it works Brent Burns is a perfect example I've written personality profile after him you know I kind of introduced the whole Burnsy Zoo back in the day because he gave me all access to to him and there were times where you know I, during his time with the wild he was tick with me because of some of the things that he was that I was writing and I'm like Brent you know that's just kind of the way it works is that you got to understand I still got to do my job I'm going to be objective I'm not going to get personal but but you still got to you know my, my job is to be the liaison between the team and the fans I think one time I wrote on Twitter or maybe on a blog that uh, uh, the Penguins were sending out their JV power play and I listened to players on it. I mean, their second power play. And one of the players like, what, am I back in high school? Well, Mikey, I'll never forget this. I ripped the power play one night, just destroyed it on Twitter. Twitter's another thing where players, that's even worse than probably the podcast and all that stuff. It's Twitter that they all read everything you write. But I remember Mikey, oh, we get, the Wild had a second of a back-to-back in (laughs) Chicago and he calls me into his office. At, like, we're going to get him at 5 o'clock. Is it's second back-to-back. So I have 4.45. I go out there. And he goes, Mike, come here for a second. And he calls me in. He sends the assistant coaches out. And he calls up uh, his phone and shows me a screen capture of my tweet about the power play. And he goes to me. He goes, what the F is this? And I look at him. I'm like, when did you learn how to screen capture? <laughs> and just kind of, you know, uh, you know, kind of uh, threw a little wrench into, made a little crack, and got him laughing and lightened the mood. But you've got to be accountable for what you yeah. write because nothing is in the ether now. Like yeah. back in the day, you could write stuff and nobody would ever see it. And now, you know, except in your local market. And and now it's just man. I think I can't remember. Like a player, I cannot remember this. An old player, like a year and a half ago, came up to me. He goes, "I still remember something you wrote about me in 1998." I'm just like, Jesus, you know, let's I, let it go. I remember a couple of years ago, the, the Penguins had a prospect camp here in the summer or whatever, and uh, uh, there was a player from Europe. I, I don't want to identify him because it's kind of an embarrassing story, but uh, he was from Europe, and I was talking to him about oh, playing for the Penguins, and you know, they won a cup like recently in 2009. He's like. Oh, it's really nice to be here because you know they win the cup and they're always trying to win. And he had broken English, but um, he's like, I don't think you can say that for a lot of teams like Edmonton. 
they wouldn't say that. And his face just turned white as a ghost. Yeah. He's like, please don't write that. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, don't, don't worry, man. I won't. I won't. So like, he was always very grateful for that. And, yeah. Um, and well, the other night, the other night, uh, a player in the Ottawa room goes, yeah. you know, the Wild had a, uh, the Minnesota had a horrendous snowstorm two nights ago, and only about ten thousand people came to the game. There were probably only five in the stands when the game started. And the players made a joke that said, uh, "Yeah, I felt like I was playing in Florida." And then he goes, <laughs> "And it was a, a bunch of us, and or actually, I wasn't even there, but a bunch of reporters." Yeah. And he said, "Please, please don't write that. Please don't put that." And we all, you know, I, I used it where I didn't, I didn't yeah. name them, but but you know, you, know you, you try not to hurt. There's sometimes you don't have a choice. Like we were once here at the Igloo, and Darius Casparitis Cap- dove on a play that on a Peterborough hook or whatever. And I'll never forget this. And um, the penalty, I think, cost the, the Panthers the game. And after the game, we go get Peter Worrell. And he goes in with a ton of cameras around. And Pitts, we're in a visiting locker room at the Igloo. He goes, I've hit my girlfriend harder than that. Jeez. And right away, I, myself and the Palm Beach Post writer, Brian McGain, look at each other and our hearts sink. Because we know he's kidding. I know that Peter Worrell is a tremendous dude. Yeah. Okay? But he's a 6'6 enforcer in the NHL. It's not going to be taken as a joke. So the, ca- the, the cameras go away, and we go, Peter, what the hell? Like, we've got to use that. Yeah. Why, why do you have to use it? You know I'm kidding. I'm like, because you just said it in front of six other strangers. You know, six other... I don't know who the heck that guy is, yeah. and that camera, and that TV. Like, this is going to wind up on TSN and everything. And, like, I will make sure that I put... Worrell said kiddingly, but man, I mean, this is going to explode tomorrow. Yeah. And it, like, that's one where you cannot help the person, right? Yeah. And the next day we used it and then the, we went to Long Island the next day and we're in Syosset at the Islanders practice facility and Peter and Brian Murray made Peter Worrell come out and, and apologize and he's just profuse, just crying, you know, my heart went out for him. I think the team suspended him a game. Um, you know, it was it was bad, but that's one where you're like, there are certain times you can be a, um, somebody charitable. You know, charitable. Yeah. Um, I, I, there's a famous story in Minnesota that a lot of your people won't know. This is the most unethical thing I've ever done. <laughs> so Matt Cullen has his thousandth game, plays it for the Panthers, for the Wild. Um, we go, or, or the team has a party at this place called the Downtowner across the street. It's next to Tom Reed's. The, the parking lot is shared with Tom Reed's. So I park in this parking lot after the game. I'm not going to the, team, the party to celebrate yeah. Cullen's thousandth. And the Panthers, the Wild are either going off on their father-son trip or just coming off of it. I can't remember. It's like January. It's frigid out. And I'm leaving after the game, and I back up, and I go, just hit, and I realize I hit a car. Jeez. So I get out, and I look, and it's a freaking black Porsche. So right away, I'm like, holy hell, all right? And, but then it dawns on me, like, this has got to be a player's car that I just hit because I know they're having the Matt Cullen party across the street. And as I'm like, oh, my God, like, what do I do? My heart sinks. I'm thinking to myself, like, please have this car be, like, one of two players because if it's, like, Setaguchi or Brad Stalvitz or somebody, yeah. they're going to freaking make me pay through the roof. And as I'm thinking this myself, all of a sudden I look up and I see Jared Spurgeon and his dad Barry staring at me. <laughs> and Jared's got this big smile on his face. And I look at him, I'm like, whose car is that? And he looks at me and he's like, and he's like, ah, I think it's, and I'm thinking to myself, please say it's Nick Schultz's or Matt Collins. Because those two I know will treat me like gold. But if it's anybody else, God knows what's going to happen. And he goes, I think it's Schultz's. 
And so he uh, he's like, I'll go get him. Yeah. I'm like, and, and I'll never forget this. Jared's running across the street on West 7th there, and I scream to Jared. I'm like, Jared, don't make a scene. Like, I don't need, like, 20 players coming yeah. out to make fun of me and video this and all this stuff. <laughs> and anyway... Out comes Nick Schultz across the street, and he shows up laughing. He's like, I thought he was kidding with me. And he just tells me, he goes, go home. Go home. And I'm like, I'm like Nick, there's damage and everything. He goes, just, just go home. Don't worry about it. So I go home. This was com- it was definitely coming off the father-son trip, because then we go to Denver. Okay? And the father-son trip was before that, I think, Philly and Toronto, where they got murdered. And um, we go to Denver, and I go to the locker room. I'm like, how much was damages? Like, like can I pay for this? Goes, Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And I asked him in another locker room, I'm like, let me pay. I feel horrible. He goes, don't worry about it. And I said to him, all right, here's the deal. He goes, unless you turn the puck over for a losing goal with like five seconds left in the game for the rest of the season, he goes, you've got total immunity for me. I said that to him. <laughs> and uh, every, so every time I see Nick Schultz, I say to him, how's your Porsche? Because, uh, yeah. because I basically let him off the hook for three months if he, uh, if he made any mistake yeah. in a game. So. Uh, speaking of people who have money, you probably have a connection with uh, Zach Parise. Yep. Uh, a couple years ago, he was kind of like the free agent uh, yeah. du jour yeah. uh, the one summer, along with Ryan Suter when they both signed with the Wild. I remember you kind of famously were the, one of the first guys to interview him about yeah. that because you you basically I, I maybe I'm getting this wrong. But you sat at the airport waiting for him to show up. Yeah, no, and it you was like a video. It interview. was yeah, What's it was like that um, it was, you know it was one of those things. This was kind of at the beginning. It was the advent of Twitter, at least for me. Like I started yeah. Twitter in '09, but this is 2012, and this is when you had all the you know kind of first of all you had Parisian Suter being courted by a gazillion teams. Um, it's after the lockout, so uh, or or what? Excuse me. What, I'm trying to think why free agency was July 4th that year, fifth that year. Um, Might have been actually before the lockout. Okay, yeah. No, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, it was yeah. before the lockout, right? Free agency was July 1, but he didn't sign until July 4th. That's right. It just took three days. Yeah. So for three days, I'm sitting at my Twitter account, just reading. You know, I mean, frankly, I hate to say it like this, but I remember. Saying the Minnesota Wild are out, or Penguins are close to this, yeah. and like you know, um, and I just remember um, other you know hockey insiders. Remember the guy, the the, so the, the fraudulent, the fraudulent, yeah, the question mark, and- the twenty Z's at the end, and he was complete fraud, and I think he still <laughs> exists. Um, you know, him saying Minnesota Wild are out, and, and blah yeah. blah blah, and I'm like, and there, it got to the point that you're re- you're reading Twitter, and you don't know what to re- what like you're getting from sources anymore to what you're seeing on Twitter. And I find, and the one thing I did have is that you're, is the three days leading into free agency when, when Zach was in Mississauga at his agents, uh, you know, uh, Wade Arnott and, and Don Meehan and, and, Pat, and Pat Morris, he was always texting me back. And I thought it was weird because... I, you know, I, I, one, I was talking to the other beat writers from teams that I, we all knew he was going after, and he wasn't hearing from him. And even though I was the Minnesota guy, I didn't have a relationship with him, really. Um, you know, I, didn't, I knew Zach, but I didn't know him, yeah. right? He was, but, so, I, so my reporter instinct told me he's, he, he might be trying to establish a relationship with the reporter that's going to cover. And so on July 3rd, he told Tom Galitti from the Bergen record and me that he was flying back to Minnesota to make a decision on the 4th. And so, you know, right away, my reporter, I, I remember sitting actually on July, excuse me, it's July 2nd, so he's coming back the 3rd. I remember thinking to myself on the 3rd, 
you know, there's only a couple flights. He's not connecting through Detroit. Yeah. He's not connecting through New York. There's only a couple flights that are nonstop from Toronto and Delta. He's got to be on that. So I grabbed myself, Michael Rand from the Star Tribune, and, and uh, Jason Gonzalez, who was also at the Star Tribune at the time. And we essentially stalked the airport. I went to one escalator that I thought he would come out of because, because I knew the gate that the flight was arriving, so I knew that would be the closest escalator. I had Rand go to the other, and I had Jason kind of roaming outside. And I, I all of a sudden, Parisi's coming down with his wife, Alicia, and he looks at me and he just smiles. He goes, I knew you were going to be here. <laughs> and so I interviewed him there. And the, the story there is that he said, look, we're going to make a decision today. Uh, you know, And it still kind of wasn't out that he and Ryan were tolling coots, but I knew it from talking to their agents and things like that. And so now, um, I get a tip that the Wilds plane has flown to International Falls, which right away I know that Neil Sheehy, the eight, Ryan Suter's agent, goes to International Falls for free agency every year to do his calls. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of home away from home. So right away I know yeah. the Wild are picking up. I mean, it didn't take a you know, brain surgeon to figure this out. So I you know, figure out that they are going to International Falls, and then I see that same plane's going to Madison, and I sat at home, and I waited until that flight from Madison was wheels up on its way back to St. Paul, and I drove to the St. Paul airport, and I was literally hiding in a uh, bush next to the, next to this, the state patrol of Minnesota's, like, like their little uh, kind of uh, precinct there. Okay. And I remember I'm hiding behind this bu- bush, and I see the plane land, and all of a sudden this state patrolman walks out and starts marching toward me. He goes, he's like, can I help you? You know, like I'm like hiding behind a fence across, at, on an airport runway. So, like, I had a very good chance of getting in trouble. And I immediately tell him, like, uh, you know, my name is Mike Crusoe. I'm from the Star Tribune, and he right away like says this, and I'm like, I'm just kind of stalking a plane here because I think that Ryan Suter's agent's going to get off with Chuck Fletcher and Craig Leopold. And then all of a sudden he's like, Really? Are we getting Parisian Suter? Like it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, Yes, I think we are, but you need to leave. You know, like I need you to go right now. And so I'm hiding behind this bush, and I all I knew is that I needed to see Neil Sheehy get off that plane. And all of a sudden they get off this plane. Um, and and but the other funny thing is this is that this whole day that I decided that I got to get away from Twitter, I'm not tweeting, so I am getting peppered by fans like, where the hell are you? What's going on? You know, like. But I decided like I'm going to have to go get the story myself. So I'm I see Craig Leopold get off the plane. I see Tom Sagasor get off the plane, which right away I know is Ryan Suter's money guy. I see Chuck Fletcher get off the plane. I see uh, Mike Yo get off the plane. And then I'm like, please show me Neil Sheehy. And then I see Neil Sheehy get right off the plane. He shakes their hand, and then he takes off. And I'm like, this is perfect. And that second that I, again, went on flight over, the second that... So basically, Craig Leopold lent his plane to drop Neil back off in International Falls. The second I saw that plane land in International Falls. I called Sheehy because I knew he'd probably have a thousand messages to return. I wanted to be the first one to call him right when he landed. And he picks up the phone and he just starts laughing. He goes, I told them I didn't want to get off that plane. I knew I'd see you. And there you were, you know, like hiding behind that fence. So uh, so it was cool. So we were able exclusively at the Strib to have the story that night that it looked like they were going to yeah. sign uh, together as a tandem that next morning. And I'll never forget it. Chuck Fletcher, Craig Leopold, and Mike Yo, they come walking out of this little terminal at the St. Paul Private Airport. Um, and the confidence on their face, they were so confident. Remember, it was them in Detroit meeting with Souter in, in uh, Madison, and they just knew they had him. Yeah. And, uh, and then they negotiated the contract that night. 
So it was crazy. Um, Zach Parise, native son of Minnesota, his yep. father played for the North Stars there. Uh, he went to Shattuck St. Mary, that renowned uh, private boarding school, I guess, where a lot of hockey players come through. Um, covering a, the Minnesota Wild strikes me as you're not just covering the NHL team. You're covering, I mean, there's so many D1 yeah. schools there. There's so many uh, kids that come up through the high schools and stuff like that. It seems like it's a pretty de- enveloped uh, yeah. process with a lot of different arms and legs. No and doubt. I mean, you know, just the NHL yeah. team. And I, I still don't have a firm grasp of everything, like yeah. North Shore's history, Gophers history even, uh, high school history certainly. Um, luckily at The Athletic we've hired an army of freelancers to cover colleges and high schools where I can really keep tunnel vision on the wild. But it's a very provincial state. They're very proud of the fact that they have the most you know, uh, uh, you know, amateur players in the country, yeah. the most NHL players uh, in the NHL, uh, born in Minnesota, and so it's a big thing. You know, if, if you know down at the Oscar game this weekend, I mean, I'm going to write on more global scale, but I'm going to do a big Brock Besser story. I'll probably write a big Blake Wheeler story because that stuff is is wanting to be read by Minnesotans um, up there and. And Zach came home, and it was a huge day in Minnesota. Unfortunately, that that uh, enthusiasm has tempered a bit yeah. now since he's you know he's had his injury issues, and they've got eight years left on his contract, and that's a huge concern. Um, but but he's beloved in, in that state, and uh, and rightfully so. And his dad was beloved in that state, and so you I mean, as a as a hockey writer there, it took me a while to get used to the fact that every time a Minnesotan comes in, you kind of got to write it. But fans want to read that stuff. And you came from an environment like previously. You were a beat writer in Florida, where you know it's not a hockey market. No, especially in comparison to Minnesota. Yeah. Um, what was that like covering the, the Panthers, especially in their embryonic days? Yeah, maybe, well, it was, earlier days. Before. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, because after they fired Brian Murray and, and Chuck Fletcher left, and 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 Wayne Heisinger sold the team, it became the most dysfunctional organization in yeah. this league. I mean, the amount of stories that I could tell you between the power struggle that Rick Dudley and Mike Keenan had, and and just constant mess. And I always say, if the if the if the Panthers could ever get out of its own way and have a stable. Of, uh, a team behind the scenes as they do on the ice, they'd be a Stanley Cup winner every year. But every year they they change paths by firing a GM, firing a coach, firing a getting a new owner. I mean, it's just a it's sad what happens down there because the fan base down there were rabid at a time when they were at Miami Arena. They sold out every game when they got Pavel Bure the first two three years and at the new barn they were sold out every game there. Um, but but it was it was becoming irrelevant um, the team down there and I was starting to during the 2004 five lockout really itch to go somewhere else and then one day I was called into work and they basically kind of told me you know uh, we we don't think we want to put you on the wild on the Panthers anymore you know we'd like you to pick something else to cover um, you know we just don't see uh, the love for this team that we could you know we could use you better in, in another thing and I, I to me I was covering the Panthers at ten years at this time I was a hockey writer. I absolutely love the sport. I would say that I don't love being a sports writer enough to cover the sport I don't love. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so all of a sudden it was perfect timing. I'll, you know, late July I'm flying to, to um, London through Paris out of Miami on an Air France flight. I left at six o'clock. I land in Paris. I check my voicemail. And at six o five, the Star Tribune writer uh, editor Glenn Crevier had left a message on my voicemail saying, "Are you interested in coming to Minnesota?" And I land in London. I called them and I had an hour conversation with them. And kind of the wheels were in motion that month. And 
And uh, and so, uh, you know, I loved covering the Panthers, though. Uh, you know, there were incredible stories down there, incredible personalities down there. Pavel Bure, to this day, is still the best player I've ever covered in my life. Um, that those early 90, that you know, the expansion team, and then when I started covering them in 96 as a backup to the backup to yeah. the backup. It seems like uh, a really just cool player. Yeah. Too. I mean, those those teams, in ni- that team in 96, the guys they had on that team, the character, the Scrudelins, the Mellenbees, uh, Gordon Murphy, Paul Laws, Bill Lindsay, Tom, you know, Mike Huff, Jody Hall, Tom Fitzgerald, Stoop, uh, you know, it just goes on and on and on, the guys they had on that team. And it was the beginning of Jovanovski, Rhett Warner, and Radek Dvorak, and Rob Niedemeyer, and yeah. Johan Garpenlov, which is always... <laughs> I always bring up Johan Garpenlov because uh, I, have a, I'm a, I used to be really tight with Joe Starkey here in town, and, and Starkey used to always joke with me. He goes, hey, when's your next Johan Garpenlov feature? Because I loved writing about Garpenlov. So... <laughs> I so, saw him on Twitter, by the way. Garp, yeah, Just, you know, he's now reason. he's the Sweden Olympic gym, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, speaking of Florida, the, the All Star Games in the state this yeah. weekend uh, in Tampa. Um, you've covered a million All Star Games, I'm sure. Yeah. What's that event like? I mean, you're not, you know, you don't really necessarily go to, to cover the game in the school. No, game. yeah. Well, I can to, guarantee I'm not going to be writing about go the to game. to cover maybe more things on yeah. a national basis. Yeah, you know, whether it's a, the, the league overall, yeah. or maybe agents or whatever just exactly. what's that whole event like yeah you go the there because every who's who in hockey's there yeah. you know they have the board of governors meeting so everybody's going to be there except for Craig Leopold who I think is having uh, hip surgery uh, so he's not going but you know you go there to kind of you know be a reporter um, but then write good personality like I love writing personality profiles like I, I just actually can't wait to sit down tomorrow morning and bang out this Besser story um, I had an incredible interview with his parents the other day so I look forward to that type of stuff I love media day and things like like that. I was talking to Sarah Goldstein, our NHL editor at, at The Athletic, and I was telling her, you know, like, I, sh- I sent her this picture of 2004, a young Michael Russo interviewing a young Alex Ovechkin, and it's the first day that Alex Ovechkin was in the United States at the 2004 Stanley Cup Final at the Marriott Waterside, um, this young pimply kid yeah. that spoke almost no English, and us interviewing him, uh, and, and so, like, you know, and here we are thir- 14 years later, and he's going to be back in that same room doing media day. It's it pretty neat. Um, but so I mean, you go for the the stuff around it, uh, not not definitely for the game. The yeah. games the game's terrible. It I mean, strikes like, me like covering the draft. Yeah, in sense. like the only time I've ever I remember in Dallas, Brian Ralston had a monster game and frankly should have been MVP of that game. And I remember then you write it. Uh, I guess but, maybe a few years ago this, the whole. Um uh, John Scott situation too, right? Like a, a, you know stuff like, like that. Yeah, that yeah, made yeah. for a good story. What I don't, you know, like to me, the All Star Game is a little baloney now because of the system they have to get players in there. It's no longer guys that really have earned it. Yeah. It's more like you know being anointed to there. And so and you know, the, to me, the designation everyone, yeah, one team has I mean, to have at least you know, one guy. I mean, even and he's he's heated up. You know, he's 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 heated up lately. But like even the fact that like William Carlson and Marcia so weren't there over James Neal because they went with the name, yeah. um, you know, uh, uh, and Flurry, And then, you know, same thing. I mean, you know, it's a shame that guys like Jared Spurgeon and Michael Granlin don't have a chance. Um, so, you know, I, I look at I look at the Islanders, and I, I love that Tavares and, and Daly are there, but, man, Anders Lee's got the second most goals in the NHL since December 4th of two years ago yeah. in, in that span with him and Kucherov. And here's a guy that he's snubbed. Um, but, you know, guys like Besser gets there because there's nobody else on the Vancouver Canucks you put. So, you know, to me, from that standpoint, it's not like it used to be where when you went to an All-Star game, it was the absolute best of the best yeah. at midseason. And, ch- and chances are, too, I mean, before, you know, national TV expanded and you could watch games on the Internet and stuff like that, I mean, 
that might be your only chance to watch Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky. Other yep. than maybe the four or five times they might play against head to head, and that was such a big deal in that sense because yeah. chances are you won't be able to get to see those players yeah. on TV like yeah. you now can virtually any minute of the day. Yeah, so. and this one, and you know, frankly, this this All Star game down in Tampa doesn't have really any real story. Like last year was the first of three on three, so it was kind of interesting. Yeah. I remember the year that the All Star game was in Sunrise. It was uh, Heatley, I think, was the MVP of that game. It was interesting because if if it went, and it's amazing that it did. I mean, they were, they they added the shootout to just kind of experiment with it. But what are the chances it's actually going to get to a shootout? And then boom, it's tied after overtime, and they actually have a shootout before the shootout <laughs> was a rule. And it's the first time we actually got yeah. a look of what a shootout would look like in the NHL. So there's always these storylines, and um, <laughs> and unfortunately, this one, you know, it's just you're, I think we're just all going for the weather. <laughs> uh, last two questions, and I always finish the podcast with these two. What do you hate or dislike about the business the most? Um, you know, I, I think what I don't like is the, what it's become is that, like, now whenever we hear anything, we tweet it out. It's yeah. like, you know, you're almost in, like, a race with even the, the team PR staff. We ask a question, and they tweet out the answer. And to you me, know? that's a futile race yeah, because I, they're always, yeah. almost always going to have that. You know, and, and so that... that you know, like I, I almost like I've said this for years. I think that we almost have a have a summit. Like back in the day, you reported out a story over a day or whatever, or multiple days to get it right. It, but when you're doing it in real time, things change in a day. You know, I I can't remember the exact story, but I remember there was this big story in on Favre in Minnesota once where where I can't remember what the story was. But when it was tweeted out in the morning, it was completely accurate. But it changed in the afternoon, and the writer just got absolutely slaughtered. But he was right. Yeah. But things change over a day. So now it's like it, it just seems like we're all in this big race to kind of like I'm, oh, I am extremely competitive. I want to break everything. I've wanted that from the day I started in this business. I, it's what I find fun about it. But but I do think that we all kind of need to chill out with just immediately yeah. throwing anything out that we see because – because things do uh, change in a day, so that's one of the things. I mean, um, you know, I, it's, it saddens me what's happening to the newspaper industry. I mean, luckily in Minnesota, the strip is extremely healthy and tremendous newspaper and things like that. But you look around the country, and it's it's brutal. Um, it's, brutal. Yeah. it's it's sad. There's so much talent out there that's it's without jobs. in Canada, too. Exactly. And so, um, you know, that that stuff uh, bothers me. I mean, you know, I, I'll tell you, when, when I covered the Stanley Cup Finals, and you could attest to this, last year... Um, National uh, Pittsburgh, which is not tough yeah. travel. The only, like, if you think about it, the only beat writer that was not affiliated with that with that series that was at the final was me. Because yeah. I consider, like, Helene Elliott National, I consider Mike Harrington more of a hockey columnist. So, yeah. But you could say almost, like, in the U.S., there was nobody from Chicago. There was nobody, you know, like, it was just, it was me and, and, and uh, Mike Harrington. And back in the day, man, you would go to the Stanley Cup Finals and every market was covered. Yeah. And, you know, we'd have our PHWA meetings, we'd have our parties, and you saw everybody there. Yeah. Now, if you, you know, where were we uh, uh, the other night? Oh, uh, Bruce Garriock in Ottawa. You know, he left the arena, and I look at him, and I'm like, and he's a good friend of mine. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to see you for about a year or so. Nice seeing you. You know, like... Because I'm covering, you know, he's not going to the All-Star game. He's not going to cover the finals. Like, you know, it's just a different world now. Where back then... And I remember hearing stories yeah. of Dave Molinari. Like, you know, you know, he would cover the final. Like, 88 was like Calgary, Montreal, which 
had no earthly connection to Pittsburgh whatsoever, but he was an yeah. NFLB writer and he went and covered it. And until until it like, Ottawa Anaheim yeah. in 07, I had covered every Stanley Cup final from, from 97. And, and then I got to Minnesota and I covered the Edmonton Carolina series and then I covered uh, Ottawa Anaheim and then we took a break until. Uh, the last two years that I covered the Stanley Cup Finals, that uh, uh, just co- ironically, yeah. um, I was covering because it was part of a counter offer that the Strib did to keep me uh, from taking another job before, and then just who knew that I was going to wind up leaving eighteen months after that. Anyway, was that maybe easier to sell based on just as we mentioned, so many Minnesota connections around the league? I mean, yeah, you had some stuff oh, about Colin so Brink and his co-op yeah. series in San Jose. Yeah, last year Jake Gensel yeah. made that mad rush. Is that easier? Yeah, to no. And last year there were so many uh, yeah. Minnesota angles, and same thing with that San Jose series or a ton. So it's easy to sell, but they did it because they, you know, they couldn't understand why I wasn't, uh, wanted to leave this, uh, why I didn't want to leave, why I was real thinking that of taking this job, even though financially they made it worth my while to stay. And I said to them, honestly, I said, it's because I can cover nationally there. I know I'm covering the finals. Yeah. I know I'm covering the Ulster game. I know I'm covering this. And they're like, well, how about we do that too? And then when they did that, it was like, well, now I don't want to leave. And so, you know, just who knew that you know, 18 months after that, I'd be leaving anyway. I never thought that this would happen over the summer, yeah. that's for sure. Uh, last question. You may have answered this in some way, shape, or form, but uh, what do you love about the business the most? You know, I, I just, uh, to me, well, I, what I love is getting paid to cover sports. I mean, I just, I love that. I love telling stories. I love that my job every day is to go watch a hockey yeah. game. I mean, that's what I, I absolutely adore about this this job. And I and, tell people I don't really work. Yeah, so. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's an amazing... Uh, life that you can have. There's like any job. There's always the downfall. It's not the healthiest lifestyle, that's for sure. You know, a lot of travel, a lot of bad eating, a lot of you know uh, weird times. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it, it that stuff is is not the greatest. But you know, when I, but you know, I have I have friends that work immensely hard, make a ton of money, and they hate their life. And yeah. to me, you know, I tell students this all the time. It's like, should I get into this business? And it's hard to say. In today's day and age, yes, you know, this is a business for you when we know that the future might be pretty grim. But what I do tell them is whatever you decide, sports writing or not, make sure that whatever you do for your job, you love. Because our jobs take up such a huge percentage of our lives that if you hate your job during the 10 hours that you're working a day, you're going to come home and bring it home and you're going to hate your life there. And it's and so like that to me is is the best part of this is, you know, um, and then there are incredible perks. I mean, you know, I... When I was a kid, I wanted to be a broadcaster. I never wanted to be a sports writer. And now, you know, I get to do the podcast. I get to do radio. I get to do TV. So there are perks like that. You collect your frequent flyer miles and your hotel points. I, and I just went to Cancun completely free. Um, not a cent paid. I mean, nothing. Yeah. I, I, I don't even think I bought a meal down there. Um, like, like, you know, who can do that? Yeah. And so there is stuff like that, you know, that is just uh, incredible. And, and, and then when you get lucky enough to work in a hockey market like Minnesota where people, there's such passion for what you're writing, that's what I didn't feel in Florida. Now, it was pre-social media, but I didn't feel that anybody was reading me. You know, I could go into Starbucks and nobody knew who the hell I was. Where in Minnesota, that's not the case. I mean, just landing here in Pittsburgh, the father and son came right up yeah. to me and, and you know and said, oh, we're really excited for the game tomorrow." Oh, the lady um, at the bar here is like, "Do I know that guy? Is he like <laughs> on TV or something?" Like, uh, yeah, he does some stuff for Angel yeah. Network every once in a while. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's like. 
like Minnesota, it's such a, it really is an honor to be a hockey writer there. And, and that's that was the hardest part of leaving the Strip because the brand identity of that place and the security of that place is, is incredible. I mean, you know, if you don't want to read me, you're going to still get me. Yeah. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of uh, newspapers are. So um, so that's that's really, like, I'm treated, like, by the majority of people that I run into. Like, like it, sometimes it just blows me away. They're, you know, kind of the way that people uh, treat me when I run into them. and uh, But it's because... They love the sport. They love the team, and they, you know, now now it's up to the team to, you know, reward these fans, and, and hopefully, I'm there to document it. Thank you to Michael. Uh, I got to know Michael uh, fairly well during the 2016 Stanley Cup final between the Penguins and Sharks. Uh, he had such a good rapport with players from the state of Minnesota uh, who were in that series. Uh, it really gave you an appreciation for how tight knit that community is among NHLers from that state. And, and Michael's done a marvelous job of embedding himself uh, within that. Um, He's really a great example, as evidenced by the Red Fisher Award, of what a beat writer should be. Uh, Michael's work can be found on The Athletic, and on Twitter he's available at RussoHockey. That's at uh, R-U-S-S-O-H-O-C-K-E-Y. Uh, if you have any questions for me, uh, feel free to tweet them to me, at Seth Roblob. That's S-E-T-H-R-O-R-A-B-A-U-G-H. And the PHWA can be found on Twitter at the PHWA. We're also on Facebook as well. Thank you for listening.